There is an overall misconception that reading a lot equals increasing your chances of succeeding at anything dramatically. With the intense rise of the self-help industry, it's easy to hear people talking about why you should read a book a week or something like that. But is reading that much really worth it? And the role books really worth it? What's up everybody, welcome to the transformation journey. This is your host, Emiliano speaking, and today's episode is intended to be some kind of answer to these questions. In today's episode, my guest is one of my coach and podcaster friends that I invited to have a random chat for the show. If you're new here, Random Chats is the section of the show where I chat with some friends of mine about random, interesting, valuable topics. This time, Helen Lazarus and I talked about three of his favorite books, which, in his opinion, are the best there are to really increase your chances of succeeding and to just make progress in life. Our chat was originally recorded back in early 2022 for a podcast that I had back then, where I had conversations about some cool books out there. It was called The Book Talk Lounge, if you're interested in giving a listen to any of the episodes. Even though I don't post stuff over there anymore, you can still find the show on Spotify. Before getting into the episode, if you feel like it, I always appreciate listening to what you have to say or seeing you engage in some way. Hit me up on Instagram, subscribe to the show, give it a share, you know, the usual stuff. Thanks a lot in advance for listening and without further ado, let's get into episode 46 of the podcast with Alan Lazaros. Alan, welcome to the Book Talk Lounge. You are my fourth guest for this section of the show in which we talk about transformational reads. And yeah, thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having me. I adore the topic of transformational reads. I think books more than maybe any other resource, hmm. other than maybe a, a coach, a one-on-one coach, can change, have, have the power to transform the way we think and live. And so I'm grateful to be here. And it's very aligned for me. Yeah, great. Well, again, thank you for coming. And exactly that's what we're going to talk about today. And well, I already know that one of the books that you're going to talk about is a book by John Maxwell. And actually, this idea for for the name of the section of the show came after John Maxwell, after one of his videos in which he shares more about this idea of adding value and adding value leading to transformation. And yeah, that's that's the point today. And so what's the first book that we're going to talk about? All right. So the first book is by John Maxwell, like you said. And, and in my opinion, I just want to say this, this is going to be a three-part series and it's in order of least importance. So this is my third favorite book of all time. Okay. My third favorite book of all time. I always have three books behind me in my backdrop, always. The Compound Effect, Essentialism, and then this book we're going to talk about today, which is The 15 Invaluable Laws of Growth. This is one of those books, and I'll just give a quick opener about it. Sure. This is one of those books that, quite frankly, it makes you feel kind of terrible about yourself. And the reason why is because the, it's, it, it highlights all of the opportunities that you've left on the table. Uh, so I'm 33 years old, and I believe I read this book for the very first time when I was 27. And I was on the treadmill, and I was listening to it on Audible. And I was doing a bodybuilding show, a bodybuilding prep uh, for men's physique. And I remember thinking like, this book is so good, but it's making me realize how much I'm not leveraging growth opportunities that I could be leveraging. And so I have this funny quote that I say to people, you know, you never know how valuable a book is to your life until it's in direct proportion to how much it makes you kind of feel bad at first. 
at first. And so a really good coach, when you first hire them, they're going to highlight a lot of missed opportunities. They're going to highlight a lot of awarenesses you didn't have. That's what this book is about. The 15 invaluable laws of growth. These are laws. So no matter what background you have, no matter what country you're from, these are the laws that, that are going to dictate whether or not you grow to your full potential or not. This book's about maximizing your potential. And it's my third favorite book of all time. And well, you, you say that the first time that you listened or that you read the book was, uh, well, yeah, listening to it on audible and how was, how was this experience? Like, especially like the experience of listening to this book, how was it different from reading it and from actually highlighting and taking notes and everything? Well, first and foremost, I was on the treadmill. I was doing a lot of cardio for my uh, bodybuilding show. And it was early in the morning and it was very much, John Maxwell reads it on Audible. So if you do buy it on Audible, he reads it and he reads it really well. Uh, he's got something crazy, like a hundred plus books. So I'm sure he has a lot of experience. Plus he's a speaker. Yeah. And <laughs> the, when the author reads the book, it's always better in my opinion, unless the author isn't a good speaker, in which case that's not the case. John <laughs> Maxwell happens to be an excellent speaker. And so I highly recommend the Audible version. But what was the experience like? It was one of my first real deep dives into personal development. Uh, John Maxwell has many famous books. The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership is another really famous book. But this one in particular, it just got me thinking about my life from a, from a macroscopic lens of, it got me out of the now and into redesigning my entire life based on my entire growth trajectory. And now actually, my girlfriend and I came up with something called the C14 score. And it's, it's basically what is your growth rate? And it's, it's 14 words that begin with C like competence, character, confidence, commitment, community, all these different C words. And now we use that as, you know, if you're a C14, that means you're 10 out of 10 in all 14 of them. That means you have the most accelerated growth curve of all time. But this book is, is just, it helped me understand that not everyone grows at the same rate. And more importantly, if you want to grow and maximize your potential, you're going to have to leverage these laws to the best of your ability. When you mentioned uh, this concept that you and your girlfriend came up with, uh, what were some of these keywords, uh, were some of these principles taken from like John's book? Could you uh, also mention some of the 15 laws that John talks about? For sure. Yeah. So I'll open the book right now. We'll, we'll go into a couple of them. One sure. that already jumps off the page that I adore is the law of trade-offs. The law of trade-offs is this, I think people want to believe that they don't have to have trade-offs. A lot of people, I think, want to believe that there's such thing as something for nothing. And I don't think there's such thing. I, I believe that all, all decisions we make have consequences, both positive and negative. Everything in the universe is cause and effect. And so, for example, I was on group coaching last night and we were talking about alignment and core aspirations, core values, and core beliefs. And we were talking about how some people have core values and core beliefs and core aspirations that are in conflict with one another. One example is, let's say you want to change the world and have the most successful holistic self-improvement podcast in the world. But yet you also really, you have a core value, you really love to relax on the beach every day. Hmm. See, those two are in conflict. And to get back to the book, the law of trade-offs says you cannot 
have one without the other. Now, is it possible to work really, really hard for 20, 30 years and then transition to relaxing on the beach? Yes, of course. Once you have momentum and once you've built something. But this idea that you can spend all day, every day on the beach and then also build a, a super successful multi-million dollar company, it's, it's just not real. You know, when I, when I hear trade-offs, I, I do think about it in the way that you just said, but also it comes to mind like uh, this idea or this perspective of many uh, experiences or even life being a zero-sum game. Do you think that it sort of relates to how people sometimes think uh, about life in that way? Do you think that that relates to this, this idea of trade-offs? Yeah, so... I don't believe that life is a zero-sum game, but I do believe that every choice we make is ha has consequences, both positive and negative. So what's a good example of this? I'll tell this brief story. Imagine you and I decide to pool our money and we want to build a $5 million magnificent palace we hire the best architect and the best uh, carpenters and the best, you know, builders and the best, uh, the best of the best in what they do. That $5 million, once the palace is done, doesn't go away. Mm. It goes to the families of those workers. And then the families of those workers now have food on their table and they can get an education and the palace didn't go away. So the palace is still worth $5 million dollars. But the $5 million didn't disappear. The $5 million is now in the hands of the families of those workers. And now on top of that, if we take care of the palace, we can actually make it appreciate in value, get more valuable. And then on top of that, all the other homes in the area actually got more valuable because, oh my God, there's a magnificent palace. And so that's not a zero-sum game. People think if I'm going to be wealthy, you have to be poor. That's not how life works. But what I will say, is that in your personal life, in your personal decision-making paradigm, every single decision you make has consequences, both positive and negative. So for example, right now I'm choosing to be on this interview with you. That means that right now I'm also choosing not to be spending time with my girlfriend or not to be walking my dog or not to be on a coaching call with a different client or not to be you know, at the gym or not to be reading a book by myself. See, you have to understand that every decision you make has trade-offs. And the key here is to understand those trade-offs so at least you can make informed decisions, right? This is in alignment for me to be on this interview. Mm. But if something bad were to have happened to my girlfriend or my dog, knock on wood, of course, you know, of course I would stop this interview and go help them because that's my priority. And, and I think it's important to understand that in, in your decision-making. So anyone listening, that's the best law in this book, in my opinion, the law yeah. of trade-offs. Go ahead. And, you know, I, I remember that in the first uh, podcast episode that we recorded, uh, we talked about uh, like the, the intentions that you search for your life and the, the ideal journey. And then with this, I, 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 I understand more uh, this idea of, of trade-offs and of actually choosing 
I I'm not sure if it was in Tony Robbins uh, book A Week in the Giant Within that I listened to him. Well, that I read that he said like, uh, yeah, decisions are uh, choosing one thing uh, instead of another, and uh, yeah, going in one path instead of uh, all the others. And you actually mentioned something really interesting and and valuable, and that is like making informed decisions. How do you personally uh, make informed decisions? And is there any law in the book that uh, like gets deeper into this? Yeah. So the first law is the law, or no, second law, the law of awareness. I, I say this, consciousness is the unsung hero. Consciousness you can't see, but that's actually what's doing everything. What's a good example of this? First, I want to circle back real quick. People think that the law of trade-offs is about, if I say, they, they think success is about saying yes to the thing you're supposed to do. When in reality, a lot of it is saying no to the other tons and tons and tons of ideas. See, people who understand the law of trade-offs understand, I'm going to say no in advance. So for me, I quit drinking. Okay. So going to the bar and going to football games and going to parties and going to backyard barbecue, all of those are no. The answer is no, because I don't drink anymore. And I, I said no in advance. So I think everyone who really wants to live in alignment and be really successful, you need to reframe this thing of like, I got to say yes to meditating. I got to say yes to the gym. I got to say yes to personal development books. What you really need to do is say no to all the other junk you're doing because that will make room and space for the good stuff. So that's number one. Number two, the law of awareness, because you, you said informed decisions. Okay. There's a law in this book called the law of awareness. You must know yourself to grow yourself is the little catchphrase. Hmm. Consciousness is the unsung hero. Uh, I'll give an example. So I know you're younger than I am, uh, <laughs> but for anyone who, who remembers this, Steve Jobs, RIP. Steve Jobs started a company called Apple in his garage with someone named Steve Wozniak. So Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak started a company called Apple. 10 years later, Apple had 4,000 employees and grew to over a billion dollars in value and was a multi-billion dollar corporation. Steve Jobs decided to hire someone named John Scully, who at the time was the CEO of Pepsi. He said, hey, John, do you really want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life? Or do you want to come with me and change the world? <laughs> right. So John Scully said, yes, I want to come with you and change the world. They eventually started to diverge. They eventually started to. So Steve Jobs said, come run the company for me. What Apple didn't realize at the time, but did later, is that it was Steve Jobs' consciousness, his awareness that was allowing the company to grow the way that it did. The moment that Steve deferred to John Scully, the, the company started to lose. So much, in fact, that John Scully and the board of directors fired Steve Jobs from his own company. And then 10 years later, Steve Jobs had, had built Pixar, the most successful animation studio in the world, had also started a company called Next. Apple bought Next back, fired John Scully, and let CEO be, uh, Steve Jobs be the CEO again. And now Apple is the most successful company in history. So consciousness is the unsung hero, AKA awareness is the unsung hero. I, I often make a joke in our company uh, to, to Kev. 
my, my uh, business partner and I say, Kev, I was thinking about just going, going into a, a random high school and just finding someone and saying, Hey, do you mind coming and running our company for the next couple of years? <laughs> and, and Kevin laughs, right? He jokes and, and we, we both laugh. And the reason why I say that is because I want him to contemplate the alternative. I want to contemplate the alternative because I want to, to remind everyone of the fact that, that my awareness, his awareness has been built over 33 years of constant, never ending learning, growth, improvement. And, 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 you know, we all have our own unique genius and I have mine. And what, what, what's funny about that joke is Kevin and I both know if I were to hire some random high schooler to run our company, that the company would burn to the ground <laughs> unless we happen to get the most genius high schooler who happens to know business, right. And how to grow and scale a global podcast business, um, <laughs> and podcast production agency. And we've got a bunch of different departments, but so here's my point, the law of awareness, chapter two of the book. I don't want anyone listening to this to ever again, take advice from someone in an area where they have higher awareness, John Scully and Steve jobs. Steve Jobs had higher awareness, but didn't know that until way later. Apple thought John Scully had higher awareness, and then Apple started to lose when Steve Jobs left. And then when Steve Jobs came back, guess what started to win again? See, it wasn't Apple. It was Steve's consciousness. That's my point. So consciousness is the unsung hero, and it's unfortunate that people can't see consciousness. Only, they can only see the byproduct of it, right? And, and real quick, Elon Musk no matter what the idea, it's going to end up winning because it's not mm. about the idea. It's Elon Musk's consciousness who's going to make it win, right? So, so people obviously know that now, but when Elon was, I don't know, in his mid-20s, I'm sure nobody knew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's also very interesting that you put it this way because like John, John Maxwell saw about leadership and putting it this way that like, how successful an organization is, uh, is also dependent on the awareness of its leader. Then there I, I am able to connect like uh, John's, uh, John's book uh, and John's and his other teachings. And that's very interesting. And so it's also about being aware of your awareness, because if not, you end up being like, well, you, you end up in a situation like the, the one of Steve Jobs. Yep, 100%. <laughs> You have to be aware of what you're aware of, and you have to be aware of what you're not aware of. And you have to be more importantly, aware of what other people are aware of. And most importantly, aware of what they're not aware of. That last one I was bad at. I'm getting better. Um, remember, there's a lot of pretenders out there who pretend to know a lot more than they really do. You got to be careful. And how do you develop awareness or what's John's advice for this? Um, you must know yourself to grow yourself. How do you develop awareness? I have my answer. And then he talks about this too in the book, mm -hmm. but my answer is knowledge plus experience equals wisdom. And in the book, he actually talks about this. It's funny. I don't realize how well I know this book until you ask me the questions. <laughs> uh, he says, he says this, he says, people think wisdom comes with age. No, no, no. Sometimes age comes alone. And I really like that because I know, you know, my girlfriend, for example, she's 27 years old. I mean, me at 27 would not have been able to attract this woman because her awareness was so much higher than mine. Her, her growth rate was so much more uh, exponential than mine. Mm -hmm. And so me at 33, I can pitch and catch with her all day. We're good. Me at 27 with her at 27. No, 
because she outgrew me. She had more knowledge, more experience. She was more proactive. She read more books, took more courses. She, she has her own genius zone. She works harder. She's genuinely harder working than me, which is very, very rare. I don't say that about anyone else. Um, and so my point is this though, John Maxwell says, people think that wisdom comes with age. It's not true. Sometimes age comes alone. I know some people in their fifties who are far less aware than my girlfriend, Emilia. I know some people in their 60s, 70s, 80s who are far less aware than my girlfriend, Emilia. Okay. So age is the amount of time that someone is in the gym, for lack of better phrasing. That mm -hmm. doesn't mean they're getting in better and better and better shape. That doesn't mean they're getting stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. So imagine that person at the gym that goes in, talks a lot, watches football, does the same thing, but doesn't work that hard. And then imagine the other person who's really getting after it, really focused, really strategic, and is just really burning the midnight oil in terms of their effort. See, one person is going to get stronger and better. The other person is just passing time. Hmm. I think that awareness is the same. And, and John Maxwell in this book articulates that really well. So it's about being intentional also with how you spend your time and how you, how you grow. That's the first law of the book, the law of intentionality. Oh, I like yeah. that one. <laughs> Strong work. Strong yeah. work. Yeah. And it says growth doesn't just happen is the tagline. Yeah, it's it's intentioned. I, I, I really love that. And that's I consider that to be one of my principles of my life principles. And I resonate with that a lot. And then what's another uh, another uh, law from the book that you loved and that you integrated into into your life? <laughs> so there's two that I adore. Um, two, I love all of them. I do, but <laughs> two in particular, it's very hard to choose. I'm going to say them both. I'm not going to choose. Sure. One of them is the law of design. I'm an engineer. And so I just, I mean, I have a pyramid of fulfillment. I'm writing my book. It's called optimizing for fulfillment. And it's based on this pyramid of fulfillment with five levels. And the bottom level is the physical needs. The next level is the emotion, the physical and emotional and, and mental needs. And then it's just the emotional and mental needs. And then it's the spiritual needs at the top. And it's, it's sort of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but in my mm -hmm. opinion, a far more practical, far better version. And I think I probably talked to you about it on the last episode, but the law of design, everything is a formula. So you can design a fulfilling life. You will not have a fulfilling life by default you will have a fulfilling life by design. It's a design. It's an engineered life. It's, it's, you know, everyone on the NLU team, our, our next level university podcast and, and the team and the business, they're all, all more fulfilled than they were prior to the team. And it's by design. It, it's, we've set up a team and a system and a structure that works for everyone And you can allow your uniqueness to flow within that structure. And it's all by design. It's by engineers. So that's the law of design. And to maximize growth, you have to develop strategies. That's the tagline in the book. But my point for anyone watching or listening to this, you have to design your future in advance and then build toward it. It's not just going to happen. You're not just going to stumble upon a beach house. You're not just going to stumble upon, you know, your dream physique. I, I have a specific dream physique that I'm shooting for at age 40. And that means I have seven more years, but I'm working towards that every single day because it's reverse engineered. 
Imagine someone who's like, I want to build an amazing phone. And then they just go out into a random field and start laying bricks. <laughs> it's like, you said you wanted to build a phone, not a brick house or whatever you're building. A lot of people are winging it, winging it won't work. And so that's, that's the law of design. The next one, and this is actually uh, a better law in my opinion than the law of design is the law of pain. Of pain? The law of pain. Mm-hmm. Good management of bad experiences leads to growth. I'll give you the best example of the law of pain. Your relationship with regret. So everyone think of a terrible decision that they made in their past. Go ahead. Bad choice. Ooh, bad choice. Okay. Are you willing to sit with the discomfort and the pain of making that terrible choice enough to acknowledge it, to say, I regret that, not so you beat yourself up and live in regret and remorse the rest of your life, but so that you can do things differently in the future. Human beings learn through trauma and pain. And it's, it's not just my opinion. This is, this is studied. This is science. This is neuroscience. The way we rewire our brain from chemical, structural, and functional processes is through discomfort and through pain. Quick example for the law of pain. Two people want to run every day for their good health. One of them calls their friends and family and signs up for a marathon three months from now and says, hey, would you mind blocking your calendar coming out to support me? I'd really appreciate the support. Okay, the other one just wants to run every day. See, one of them's going to run every day because one of them is afraid of the pain of being embarrassed and wasting all their friends and family's time. The other person isn't going to run every day because there's not enough on the line. There's not enough pain at the end of that rainbow, the proverbial never-ending finish line. See, there was a deadline for this episode. It's on my calendar, right? Once it's on my calendar and I book it from comfort, now I have the pain of if I don't show up on my calendar, I'm inconsistent and I consider myself consistent. So there's discomfort. So there's skin in the game. I've told you, I committed to you that I'd be here. So now I'm here. That's the law of pain. And people who believe that they can go through life without pain and discomfort, put it this way, you might be able to go through life that way. You certainly will not grow through life that way. So it's about leveraging pain and suffering um, and discomfort by design to to grow. And then, and then we are mixing all the, all the, well, the loss that you've mentioned. I like Fire. it. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that that's also sort of the, the point with personal development and, well, yeah, with part of it, and it is like to, to be intentional with suffering and, yeah, to, to choose your struggle, to, to choose what you suffer for. And I like that example of the, the guys running and the marathon. And, yeah, I relate that also to the idea of uh, James Clear on his book, Atomic Habits, in which he talks about uh, how are they called? I think it's social contracts or something like uh, that. Commitment devices. Yeah. And you leverage. Pre-commitment. Those, yeah, pre-commitment. And you, you use leverage basically to, to commit. And that's, that leads you to growth. Yeah. I have that book on my, uh, we're reading that in book club right now. 
Oh, Atomic great. Habits. Excellent book. Fourth favorite book of all time. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, we, we could talk about that one in, a, in another episode as well. Uh, Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah, well, I would, let, and I would like to start uh, wrapping up with, uh, with this book by, by John Maxwell. And what I like to do is to, is, well, what I would, would like you to do is to like uh, maybe review it in a couple sentences. Um, and, you know, just share like one, well, another <laughs> valuable brief takeaway that people can implement and that will be valuable for them. Uh, okay. So the 15 invaluable laws of growth, what's my quick review? I would say that of all the books I've ever read, this one was the heaviest in terms of looking in the mirror of, of lost opportunities. I did not always deploy and and employ these laws of growth to maximize my potential. And I certainly didn't always do it intentionally or proactively. And that was a really heavy mirror for me. And that's why this book is so valuable. It's not going to make you feel good about yourself. It's not. When you read these chapters, you're going to go, oh, not doing that, not doing that, not doing that, not doing that. That's okay. That's the proof of the value of the book. Okay. The opportunity cost of you not reading the book is too high. You've got to read the book. So that's my review. The, the only tangible thing that I can say, and it's funny because I'll use a John Maxwell quote. <laughs> People ask him, what's the number one thing I need to know about leadership? And he says, the number one thing you need to know about leadership is that there's more than one thing to learn about leadership. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm going to say the same thing about the laws of growth. There is no one thing I can tell anybody you need to understand that it's a formula. Growth is a formula. Fulfillment is a formula. Lifestyle design is about figuring out these formulas and implementing them to the best of your ability and realizing wholeheartedly that you never really get there. The journey doesn't end. You just grow forever. How high will a tree grow? As, as tall as it can. That's a Jim Rohn quote. Human beings are the same way. I'm never going to reach a point. Never. I know this. I'm never going to reach a point and go, okay, I'm done growing now. <laughs> no, I'm 33 and I'm wiser than I used to be, but I'm going to be wiser at 34 than I was at 33. I'm wiser at 33 than I was at 32, but I'm way wiser at 33 than I was at 16. And so knowledge plus experience equals wisdom. And, and my goal is to maximize wisdom. Why? So you can make better choices. So this book is going to help you make better choices. The one thing you need to know about the 15 invaluable laws of growth is that there's more than one thing you need to know about the 15 <laughs> invaluable laws of growth. <laughs> Great. Well, I, it really sounds like an amazing book and I promise you that I'm going to read it hopefully before summer, but if not, you know, just this year. Uh, and yeah, hopefully I will have this uh, suffering or this uh, un un uncomfortability. Is that, is that a word, even? Discomfort. Discomfort, yeah, sure, <laughs> that one. I, I, hopefully, I will have this discomfort uh, when, when reading the book, and I will I will grow. So, thank you for sharing it. And then, You're very welcome. What's the second book that we're in that we're gonna talk about? Okay, second book. Second book, second favorite book of all time. Now, I want to preface this. The reason why this is my second favorite book of all time is not, and I, I need to make this clear about the John Maxwell thing too. So, John Maxwell wrote The 15 Invaluable Laws of Growth, Greg McKeon wrote Essentialism, and Darren Hardy wrote The Compound Effect. And I'm not getting paid by any of these people. Um, I just love their books, and their books have changed my life. But I want to make it clear. 
I'm not choosing these books because these are the best authors or the most entertaining books. I'm not. I, I believe in utility. I believe in actual value. I'm not. The, the reason why The Compound Effect is my favorite book of all time isn't because Darren Hardy is a great author. Hmm. It's because The Compound Effect is the best idea I've, in the universe. It's the most powerful idea in the universe. Okay, so what happens when you combine The Compound Effect, which is small, seemingly insignificant choices compounded over time, over the long run, and you focus only on the essentials the essential things over the trivial many, the vital few over the trivial many, and you get better at them through the 15 invaluable laws of growth. See, that's why I chose these three books is because the combination of these three books is the most powerful thing in the world. And so the second book, I digress, is Essentialism by Gregory McKeon. The reason why essentialism is so valuable is because we live in an unreasonably distracting world. So there's been more changes to technology. It's called the law of accelerating um, returns. The law of accelerating returns, I think. There's been more changes to technology in the last 30 years than the previous 300. Uh, what was it? In 2014 or something like that, Amazon was like worth 17 billion, I believe. And now it's 18, uh, 800 billion. And so our world is changing so rapidly, so exponentially. Like Zoom isn't even that big of a company. We're on Zoom right now. Um, they didn't even exist 15 years ago. And it's a billion dollar company, right? So that's how quickly things are happening. Whereas, whereas a Coca-Cola, it took a hundred years to build that, right? Instagram was purchased by Facebook for a billion dollars and it had 12 employees. Like think about a company 50 years ago that was worth a billion dollars. It would have warehouses and office buildings and hundreds of employees. Instagram had 12. So my point is, is it's a very distracting exponential world. And at, at, at our fingertips is every distraction on earth. How many games can I play on this phone? probably hundreds of thousands, if not millions of games. Mm. How many apps could I download on this phone? Hundreds of thousands. How many places could I shop on this phone? Probably thousands. How many people could I text on this phone? Billions. Yeah. 4.66 billion to be exact. According to Google, <laughs> there's 4.66 billion people online on the internet. So on WhatsApp, I could text anyone on earth anytime I want and say anything I want. See, here's the problem. All those options are unreasonably overwhelming. So we wake up in the morning and we don't know where to start. How many books could you read? There's 140 million books. How do you know which one to do? How do you know which one to read? Obviously now you know which one to read, but yeah. <laughs> my point is the options are overwhelming. That's why essentialism is my second favorite book. It finally gets you to just sit down and go, you know what? Screw this. I'm so sick and tired of being so overwhelmed by all the options. Nobody is going to be on their deathbed saying, ah, I really wish that I had been more distracted. <laughs> you know what? I really wish I had played angry birds more. 
you know, I really wish I had mindlessly scrolled on TikTok more. No, you're going to say, I wish I had lived a life true to myself. I wish I had built something meaningful. I wish I had spent more time with my family or my friends. I wish I had had a real designed, proactive, effective, amazing life. Essentialism will get rid of the junk. It will, it will get rid of what Greg McKeon refers to as the, the trivial tr- many. Trivial many. Yeah. And help you focus on the vital few. And the vital few, by the way, is unique to each of us. So my vital few are written in the corner, a little target. We call it the next level target. And uh, it's like a little bullseye. It's got three layers. The center is coaching and consulting. The second layer is training and speaking. The third layer is podcasting. That's all I do. That's it. I don't do anything else, right? Obviously, I still go to the gym and I have a girlfriend and mm-hmm. we have a home and we do house projects and I do laundry and stuff like that. But for my career, that's it. Right now, I'm podcasting. I'm, if someone asked me, hey, will you come landscape? No. Nope. Will you come hang out with me and we're going to cook? Nope. <laughs> See, I know who I am and I know why I'm here. I am here to maximize my own unique potential and to help as many other people as possible do the same through the crafts of coaching and consulting, speaking and podcasting, online training. I'm an educator at heart. I'm here to inform people how to make their lives better and how to maximize their potential. That's it. I'm not here to garden. I'm not here to to fix cars. I know that. How do I know that? I'm fulfilled when I'm maximizing my potential and helping other people do the same. That's why I'm here. I'm here. I'm doing this for free. This is completely free. I'm fulfilled doing this because I love helping people maximize their potential. I love recommending and talking about books that will help people maximize their potential. That's why I'm here. And so that's what essentialism will do. It will help you understand why you're here and it'll help you start saying no to the decent things and the decent opportunities and even sometimes the good opportunities so that you can start saying yes only to the essential persons places things and ideas say no to the trivial persons places things and ideas and say yes to the deeply meaningful essential persons places things and ideas so for you it's not only about choosing a few things or a few valuable things it's also about uh basing it on purpose and on mission 100 do you apply i remember that in the book he he talks about this idea of the essential intentions i think that's how he calls it do you use that for sure so there are three myths in the book that greg mckeon mckeon talks about the first myth is i have to you don't have to do anything this is a weird um thing for the mind to wrap its head around But it's important to understand, I don't have to do anything. Like, let's say hypothetically, I were to just say, okay, I don't want to do anything today. I've convinced myself I have to do all these things on my calendar and I have to be here and I have to text my team and I have to write my notes and I have to do my peak performance tracker. I don't have to do any of that. I don't even really have to eat. I could starve to death if I wanted. Hmm. You don't have to do anything. I get to. I don't have to be on this podcast. I get to be on this podcast. 
You see how different it is? You don't have to go to the gym. You don't. You can let it all go. You can be overweight. Let it go. You don't have to go to the gym. You get to go to the gym. I have a friend, his name's Eric Legrand. He got paralyzed from the waist down. He would love to go to the gym. And here we are complaining about it. See, you don't have to go to the gym. Oh, another workout. No, you get to go to the gym. There are some people that would do anything to get to go to the gym. And so it's all that shift. And, and that's the first belief. I have to? No, he, he replaces it with the truth. You don't have to, you get to. There's another belief in the book. I have these all written down in a flashcard right over there, by the way. It's, I can do everything. I can do it all. No, you can't. Maybe, maybe, even then it wasn't true hundreds of years ago, but um, what is it? There's been more information on Twitter in the last 10 years than in the previous 3,000 or something wild, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, just, it, it sounds wild. <laughs> we're drowning in information. It's like, you know, um, but we're starving for wisdom. You've heard that quote before probably? Yeah, probably yes, but yeah, it, 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 it does sound familiar. Okay. This whole idea of I can do everything, not true. No, you can do anything but not everything. See, can I be the greatest speaker? Yes. Can I be the greatest speaker, the greatest football player, the greatest quarterback, the greatest actor, the greatest writer, and the greatest men's physique fitness model? Probably not. Mm -hmm. Right? So, <laughs> ready? This is going to be interesting. <laughs> Tom Brady decides to play pickup basketball three days a week. Guess who's no longer Tom Brady? Tom Brady's the best quarterback of all time. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I do, do know him, but. Okay. Uh -huh. Let's say he decides to play pickup basketball three days a week. Mm -hmm. Guess who can't win all those Super Bowls now? Him. Yeah, I, I remember what we talked about him in the past episode about LeBron. Do you, do you remember the, the ad I told you about uh, in which he was not uh, the king? He was the king of salsa because he didn't uh, he was not yeah. as consistent. So it's, it's that way. Yeah. Oh, okay. So Tom Brady can't be the Tom Brady we know and play basketball for fun three days a week. See, those don't those don't fit. Mm. There's no one ever in history who became the best football player in the world and who also played basketball for fun regularly. Do you, this is the idea of you can do anything, but you can't do everything. Michael Jordan tried it. Best basketball player of all time. Went to play baseball. Wasn't very good. <laughs> right? It's okay. He still was good compared to regular people. <laughs> Uh, regular <laughs> um, <laughs> non-athletes, right? But he, he wasn't the best in the MLB, not even close, right? Because you can be anything, you can't be everything. And that's a fact. And that's what uh, Gregory McKeon, that, those are his words, not mine. But I do believe that wholeheartedly, for sure. If, if you think that you can do it all, you are absolutely incorrect. Absolutely incorrect. And, and it's, it's disempowering, in fact, because your desire to do and be everything is actually stopping you from making decisions to stay in your genius zone and to really do what you're meant to do. So you can be a jack of all traits, but, but a master of none. 
Yes. Or you can be a master of a vital few. And that's what I would highly recommend. The, the, the analogy here is the meaningful specific versus the wandering generality. My name's Alan Lazarus. I'm here to maximize my own unique potential and to help others do the same through podcasting, coaching, consulting, speaking, and training. See, that's a meaningful specific. Mm -hmm. If you ask someone else, hey, what are your dreams? They're like, what? <laughs> uh, I don't know. That's a weird question. Why would you even ask that, right? Mm -hmm. They ask, how's the weather? More than they ask, what about your dreams? They, they, they have their vacation planned out better than their future. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm going to go here. I'm going to see this. I'm going to do that. It's like, you're, you're literally planning your vacation better than your own career. That's not okay. Not good. Yeah. That's not focusing on the, on the vital few. And you know, one thing that comes to mind and which we have also talked about, uh, is exploration. So I remember that in one part of the book, uh, Greg shares like how exploration fits into into essentialism um and yeah could, could you talk about that and also maybe get a little deeper into how you have applied that into your personal life so i think that life is a constant dance between exploration and refocus so i think that all of us are born into this world the same naked scared ignorant we don't know who we are yet i think spiritually we do sort of but consciously we don't And so we go out and we explore and we, we fail forward and we figure out who we aren't. So um, what's a good example of this? In school, you figure out, do I really like English or do I like math? Do I like science? Do I like chemistry or do I like biology? What, oh, what am I naturally good at? Okay, well, do, what sport? Basketball, football, tennis, ice hockey, badminton, skateboarding, snowboarding. What do I love? You go explore. You're supposed to explore, especially when you're young, but you're also supposed to explore to learn what you do and don't like, what you are and aren't good at, what you're passionate about and what you're not, what the marketplace has an actual need for. Imagine 300 years, Tom Brady, there's no market for football. The NFL didn't exist, right? One of my clients made... $450,000 in six days, he created an NFT marketplace. Two decades ago, that wasn't possible. Mm. NFTs weren't a thing, right? So you have to understand the context of all this. And you have to understand that life is a constant progression of expansion and refocus, expansion and refocus. But you can't forget the refocus piece. Imagine someone who all they do is focus. Their heads are always down. They're never, ever traveling. They're never, ever trying new things. They're never, ever meeting new people. They, they're just so narrow-minded. Okay? That's too much refocus, not enough expansion. Now, imagine a, a free spirit who just loves to travel <laughs> and loves to try new things and every ice cream flavor and every color and every country. And they're trying to see they're a mess. You can't have a well-designed, effective life that way. If you're always frolicking and, and doing new things, you can't be consistent that way. It's like, well, I'm trying running and I'm trying football and I'm trying basketball. You're never going to master basketball when you're, when you're playing tennis and running and hiking and all this other stuff. So my point is, is that what about the, the, the center of that? 
where you expand, refocus, expand, refocus, expand, refocus. On this interview, you know, I told you business coaching and consulting, speaking, training, and podcasting. I didn't start there. I wasn't born like I'm going to be a speaker, a podcaster, a business consultant. Like I started out in fitness coaching. I was a fitness coach. I was a fitness model. I did modeling for a long time. I was an engineer. I was a, I was in corporate. I did global product management. I did sales. I did all this stuff. I, I, I constantly learned about the world and I learned about myself and I learned how to fluctuate between the two. That's expansion and refocus. And that's what essentialism, the, the idea of being an essentialist is actually you go explore and then you re-solidify what you know about yourself. So it's a continuous process, not just a, a one-time thing that you do. Always, always. And you know, what would you say about someone considering his uh, one, one of the essential things in their life, uh, exploring, for example? Um, it needs to be what I call at five. So I always think of everything in a scale of zero to 10, just because it's easy to understand. Mm. And five is centered. So some people, so in this analogy, let me just say this. Uh, so we call something called the drive to five. 10 means you're overly confident. You're arrogant. You, your, your perception of self is much higher than the reality. So these are the people that don't think they need mentors, don't think they mm. need to read books, think, think they are really smart because they've never been in the room with really smart people, right? And then you've got zeros who are actually better than they think they are. They just have really low self-worth and they're actually way better than they think they are. They've been told that they suck and they've been told that they're not smart enough or not good enough and it's, it's not true. And they have low self-worth when in reality, they're actually far more competent than they think. These are the people who are too afraid to get a mentor or maybe don't even think they deserve one. Maybe they're too afraid to, to start reading a book or, or, or to, to take that course. And I like to try to build people at zero up and I like to, to allow the, so for example, if anyone's out there and they consider themselves a 10 of someone who's like, you know what, honestly, I do think I'm better than I am probably. And by the way, everyone's a tendency. So every single person is either a turtle shell, meaning that it's just a pain response. So um, the turtle shell and the puffer fish, the puffer fish pretends to be strong because it's really not. And the turtle shell hides because it knows it's not strong. It, neither one is true. With human beings, you got to stay at five. Five is centered. So your original question, your original question was, what would you say to someone who has variety as an essential, has expanding and exploring as an essential, an essential. I would say you got to be careful. Everyone is either really good at focusing or really good at expanding. So are you an explorer or a focuser? The engineers that I went to school with, all focusers, right? They can play one video game every day for eight hours a day. They're, they're focusers. Um, some people would lose their mind if they just did the same thing every day. I'm a focuser, so I have to force myself to go expand, read new books, try new things, right? I can do the same thing, eat the same thing. Like I'm very, very consistency. So I have to force myself to meet new people to travel. I don't even like to travel really. I like to do my routine. So you have to understand which one you are. We're all righty or lefty. Okay, and by the way, this is actually left brain, right brain. Right brain is emotional, spiritual, intuitive, warm, loving, left and art art left is science structure numbers math consistency you know discipline so we're all righty or lefty you got to figure out which one you are and you got to work on the other one 
So it's about going to the other side of the spectrum to find the, the midpoint and the balance. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, I would uh, say I, harmony more than balance. Harmony. Mm -hmm. Harmony. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was talking about this with with a friend of mine, um, and we were talking about it like in a in a different way or with a different focus. But but yeah, so it's basically about going to the other side of of the spectrum to 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 find the midpoint. It's important to realize that if you're very heavy on the on the exploring side, you need to work on focusing. If you're too heavy on the focusing side, you need to work on expanding your horizon. Some people are are way too open. In horse races, they have blinders because they don't want them focusing. They want them focusing only on the goal. Some people are overly focused on the goal and they can't see the, the forest or whatever <laughs> in this analogy, <laughs> <laughs> right? And so some, but other people are way too open. They can't, they can't focus on their goal. Imagine, um, imagine there's a, a circle and one of the circles, there's two circles. One of the circles is just like a sun, like expansive, like light, like a bright light that's just shooting out everywhere. Now imagine one is like a laser beam that, that harnesses that light all in one direction. See, the laser beam is super powerful, but also being a bright light is important. So you got to figure out which one you are naturally and then work on the other one. And actually, I think that this example of the circles and the and the light and the, the laser are... Well, did you base them on the illustration of on essentialism, uh, the one in the cover? Well, I'm not yeah. sure if it's in the cover or or in I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, I think I don't know where the illustration is, but yes, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, just another thing that comes to mind uh, from the book is that uh, now, like remembering more about what he talks uh, regarding exploration. In one part, I think that he shares that like. Uh, committing to something uh, or yeah, basically committing to an area or to something to something to focus on is like uh, choosing uh, a garden. Let's say that you have many, many gardens or or you are in a you are in a forest and it's choosing a section of the forest to to go deep into into that and to to explore it. Yeah. And it's it's important because the world is so big and so expansive that we, we only have one life and it's important to, yeah, again, be a master of your own life rather than someone who's constantly directionless. The direction and the structure creates the magnificence and it's important to understand that. Yeah. And talking again about the, the expansion that we're experiencing in, in today's world, I think that that also makes this book even more relevant. Yeah, in same for today and for the, for for the future because we gotta we gotta learn what to do with too many options because if not we also uh become even i, I would say even like bad people or frustrated people and that leads to other problems uh but yeah too many options will will make a tyrant of us all hmm. too many options will make a tyrant of us all and when you have too many options but but too few options also is a tyrant Right? If you're not allowed to choose. So some people, you know, right? It's like, well, I don't even have enough money for my own education. So I can't even right, go to school. But see, that's too few options. Uh, when I was applying to college, we had, we had, you know, tier one, tier two, tier three. Tier one was MIT. Tier two was WPI, RPI, RIT. And then tier three was like UMass Amherst. 
you know, in the Commonwealth engineers, I was, I wanted to be an engineer. And I, I think that that's the right amount of options. Right? I also applied to Tufts as well, but imagine if you didn't apply to any schools, that's too few options, mm-hmm. or you only applied to one. See too few options is bad, but too many options is it's, it's paralyzing. It's paralyzing. How, how do, how do they say it? Uh, Paralysis of analysis or yeah. because yeah. of analysis, how is that? Yeah, yeah, it, it, it sort of works that way. And well, I would like to do the same as we did with uh, John's book. And I would like you to review the book in a, in a couple of sentences and maybe share, uh, you know, what, what would be like the one thing that you would share to others that would be uh, of value to them. Okay, Essentialism by Greg McKeon is one of the most important books ever written because it's the right book at the right time. We, because of the exponential growth rate of technology, the world has changed more in the last 30 years than it has in the previous 300. And it's the, the law of acceleration and exponentials. And so we all have this giant amount of overwhelm. We all have devices in our pockets that are connected to 4.66 billion other people. And there's too many options. There's too many different types of careers. And okay, for example, I want to be an entrepreneur. Okay, well, what industry? Well, there's so many. Okay, well, now what do you want to do within that industry? Okay, well, there's so many options. It's like, okay, well, what? Do you want to do a product or a service? What kind of product? What kind of service? Who's, who's the customer, right? At NLU, Next Level University, we have a unique type of listener, people who are into self-improvement. See how specific we are. We, have, we want to have the most successful holistic self-improvement podcast in history based on life, love, health, and wealth. See, it's very, very specific self-improvement podcast. Well, I want to start a podcast. It's like, well, what kind of podcast? It's like, okay, well, I want to start a love podcast. Okay. Is it about friendships or is it about intimate relationships? Right? So essentialism is an amazing book because it came at the right time. There's so many options. It can feel overwhelming. We are all one Instagram feed away from looking at thousands of options all the time. And it's, it's so overwhelming. So essentialism is going to help you really wean through and figure out who you are and who you aspire to be. And it's going to help you get some direction and it's going to help you say no in advance to the person's places, things, and ideas that are outside of alignment. It's going to help you say no in advance to the trivial many and focus on your own unique vital few. Um, super, super powerful book. And the one takeaway that I would, I would say about this one is what is your one thing? What is the one reason you're here more than anything else? I know that feels overwhelming. I know that feels challenging. Remember when you write this down, you can rip it up later. No one starts out in life saying, I know exactly who I am. I know what my one thing is, but the people who do eventually find their one thing are the people who are trying to find their one thing. So the one takeaway from this is What's the one greatest level of contribution? For me, it's coaching. I know that. I speak and I podcast and I train and I consult, but my genius zone is coaching human beings on how to maximize their potential and their greatest level of contribution, coaching in particular. And by the way, I didn't know that until I tried to coach coaches on how to coach. And I went, oh, this is a lot more than I realized. And they <laughs> went, holy crap, there's a lot more that goes into this than I thought. So that's my one thing. What is yours? That's the one takeaway from this is if you know your one thing, you can design your life around that greatest level of contribution. And that is essentialism. 
Yes, I, I love this idea of the greatest level of contribution because that's what he talks about in the beginning of the book, if I am remembering correctly. And he, he I also liked that you uh, described essentialism as the, the book, as a book with uh, the correct timing, because that's also, I think, what he talks about in the in the beginning, like uh, the, the correct time, the correct uh, space and the correct people or something like that. And there you find the highest level of contribution. 100%. I couldn't agree. It's, it's more important now than it's ever been. And essentialism as a concept is going to be more and more and more exponentially important. It is. And now talking about uh, things being exponential, let's get into the compound effect. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, how's the episode so far? I hope you're enjoying it. I did have many takeaways from the conversation, which I will be sharing on Instagram at loungeeffect and at the.transformation.journey. So if you want to see those two, jump over there and see what's going on with these. If you feel like it, Instagram story shares of the episode are appreciated a lot too. And yeah, this was just a quick pause, so let's keep the conversation going. Now, let's get into the compound effect. Uh, how do you want to start? How do you want to start uh, talking about that one? Do you want to share your your experience with it? I do. Yes. So thank you. Uh, this is interesting because I've never been interviewed about this book before. <laughs> so I think of a hypothetical story. I think of, okay, let's imagine, let's imagine myself. I'm I'm. Let's say I'm 15 years old and my stepdad just left when I was 14 and I was trying to find myself. I was trying to figure it out. Trying to figure out life. And let's say I met me now at 33 and I asked you, you seem really put together. You, you, you know, you have this incredible home and you have this incredible relationship with your girlfriend, future wife. You have this incredible global business. You're, you're into self-improvement. You're in shape, decent, decent shape. <laughs> and you just seem like you've got it figured out. Like what, what do you, what did you do? How did you, how did you do it? How did you do it? And I would just take this book and I would just slide it across the table and I would say, I've read this book like 50 times and every time I read it, it just makes more and more sense. And every time I read it, it's just the tried and true fundamentals that actually work with all of the fluff cut out. The compound effect is the way you will achieve your dreams and the most magnificent life. And the only book that I think is actually going to be better than the compound effect is the book that I'm trying to write. But honestly, that's a, that's a difficult, <laughs> that's a difficult <laughs> bar to reach because I'm writing a book called optimizing for fulfillment, which ap applies the compound effect to fulfillment, um, which is really, really powerful. But the compound effect is my favorite book because because it's the most useful book. It's not the most fun book. It's not the best written book. It's the most powerful concept and the most useful book in terms of practicality. How did the compound effect come into your life? That is interesting. Um, how did the compound effect come into my life? This book came into my life six or five or six years ago. I want to say six years ago. And I remember when I read it, I was like, this is the way. 
This is like the way. This is this is the the manual that I never had. Because when I was a young boy, I, I wanted to be a Fortune 50 CEO of a tech company like my hero, Steve Jobs. <laughs> and I didn't know how to get there. I was just figuring it out, right? And this this is the operating system of, of success. And I don't remember exactly how it came into my life. I really don't. I got to be honest. Mm-hmm. But I remember I read it on Audible. And Darren Hardy actually reads it. And he's a speaker as well. So he does a really good job. Tremendous passion. And he, he says in the very first pages, like, listen, if you're looking for a quick fix or a magic bullet or a secret, like you can put this book down. It, it, it's not that. If you have an aversion to hard work and self-discipline, you can forget it. He says, you're not going to have the physique of your dreams with three minutes a day. You're not going to have, you know, a $250,000 income working two hours a day online. Like it's, it's not a thing. And if it is, it's a one hit wonder that is rare and not the norm. And I just love the way, the way Darren starts off saying, listen, put this book down if you're not serious. Um, so I don't remember how it came into my life, but I remember when it did, I was like, this is, this is it. This is the one, this is, <laughs> this is what I really need. Cause there was always this part of me that thought that some of the personal development industry, and I'm going to tell you this too, briefly. I said this recently, I used to think of the self-improvement industry as, as a whole industry. I now think it's two industries. I think there's the fake self-improvement industry, hmm. which is very fluffy. Self-discipline doesn't work. It's all just going to work out type of thing. It's like mm-hmm. positive, feel goody. It's not real. And then the, then there's the real self-improvement industry. And the real self-improvement industry says, honestly, life is really challenging. Honestly, it's not just going to work out. Honestly, if you don't work hard, you're in trouble. It tells the truth. See, the four-hour work week, while I think it's a good book, the title is very dishonest. And it's it, it, it's it's a nothing against Tim Ferriss. I like Tim Ferriss a lot. Mm-hmm. That was a very um, irresponsible book to write. Because a young person who gets a hold of the four-hour work week, even the idea of it, like I'm gonna work four hours a week and be super successful, it's not real. I know some people that work four hours a week and that are super successful, but they also grinded for 40 years. And, and so, yeah, the compound effect is just the real deal. It's the fundamentals tried and true, you know, and, and, and it's, it's, it's no fluff, no BS. Tell it like it is. Let's, let's get success. You know, one small parenthesis, just to, to briefly talk about the four-hour work week. I recently had uh, Nick Hutchison, founder of BookThinkers. Do you know him? No. Well, he, he's a friend of mine as well, and he was on, on the show here, uh, and he talked about the, the four-hour work week. And his, his approach to it or his way, the way in, in which he thinks about the title is as clickbait. Um, and that it's just yep. like a catchy title that then gives you uh, what, it, what you want to then gives you what to then give you, you what you actually need. Do you think that it's that way? Yes, I do. I do. But I think that that is a somewhat irresponsible book because... If, if someone gets a hold of it, who doesn't understand, I mean, okay, here's what I'll tell you. <laughs> Tim <laughs> Ferriss has never worked four hours a week in his life. Hmm. Tim Ferriss is a workhorse. Absolute, <laughs> absolute Ivy league workhorse. I mean, the dude just is so consistent. You know, I can't think of a week in his entire life that was probably only four hours. And so I do understand that I do. It's marketing. <laughs> it's marketing. 
but I think that it's a little bit, it's a little bit um, of an irresponsible book to write. I'm, you know, cause it gives the impression that you can be very successful without hard work. I know what the book premise is. It's work smarter, not harder. Ah, you gotta be careful. You gotta be careful. You don't work smarter until you work so hard that you beat your head against the wall and go, okay, it's time to work smarter. Remember what I told you about discomfort? Mm. Frustration is a part of the process. I have 850 podcast episodes. We didn't get these new mics until 30 episodes ago because we were frustrated with our audio quality for the last 820. (laughs) Do Do you see how, oh, just work smarter? No, that's not real. You work hard so long that it's painful that then you work smarter. Innovation. I mean, think about it this way. Why can't my Apple iPhone unsend an iMessage? Why can't my Apple iPhone unread an iMessage? WhatsApp lets me do it. Facebook DMs lets me do it. Not enough people have complained about it to where Apple went. We really need that. Innovation is a byproduct of negative feedback. We're starting a software division of our company. We're getting feedback on how bad our app is so that we can (laughs) innovate it. But if we're just like, ah, just work smart, not hard. Like, no, no, it's not real. I don't like the book. Four Hour Work Week was was an irresponsible book. And Tim Ferriss, I, I love you. I love your work. That title bothers me. As a matter of fact, that's the reason for the longest time I didn't pick up the book. Everyone else, the reason they bought the book, Four Hour Work Week, was the reason I refused to buy it for the longest time. And then was like, holy crap, this is actually a really good book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's really interesting because it's, it's the first time that I hear someone uh, put it this way. So like work hard until it, it really sucks <laughs> and then start to work smarter. And that's, yep. that's really interesting. Do you think that once you, well, now starting to get back into, into the compound effect, do you think that keeping uh working hard consistently and maybe i don't know eight hours a day or whatever um every day smartly leads you to this compound effect to these exponential results that we're talking about i think that i think that people say work smarter not harder i disagree i think you have to work hard first create hard work as a discipline as a habit and then you'll naturally and inherently be improvement oriented. Human beings are very improvement oriented when they work hard. Um, I'll give you an example. So if you don't like doing dishes and you're constantly doing dishes, guess who's going to go buy a dishwasher? Whoever invented the dishwasher hated doing dishes. I can guarantee it. Right. Uh, Emilia and I, uh, we can't stand doing laundry and folding laundry. We don't mind doing it. We, we can't stand folding laundry. She's like, why hasn't a robot been invented that you can just put the shirts in and it all comes out folded? See, I don't think we're going to invent that robot, but the point is, is that <laughs> you have to work hard first to create the innovation. And then that leads to exponential returns. I, I recently did this with my business partner, Kevin. We, we do group coaching every quarter and we were on a session and I, I went back and I showed everybody. I said, look at my calendar four years ago. My calendar four years ago had like, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 coaching calls on it. Not even. Then the next year, 2019, it had like 25, 30. Same December to December to December to December. Cause at the time of this, right. 
And then 2020, it was like 30. 2021, it was like 35, 40, 45. 2022, it's going to be, I mean, my calendar is insane. It was very hard to book me for the full 30 minute things. Right. Yeah. And I, I'm just grateful because the compound effect is paying off. There's a bigger demand on my time now. But my point is this, if I didn't work hard back then, would I have innovated my calendar? Would I have gotten more effective in less time? Would I have figured out how to go to bed early? Would I have quit drinking? Would I have made sure I was the most productive? Would I have been, would I have been so efficient with my time that I have a timer that I literally put on my desk whenever I start something? The answer is no. You work hard so long and so hard, in fact, that it's so discomfort painful that you innovate. And then those innovations compound because then you, you play at this new level. Now you work hard at that new level. I'll give you one more example. Quickly. I have a book in the corner. It's a Kobe Bryant book, The Way I Play. And it's this big, thick book. And it reminds me of the Mamba mentality because in my opinion of all the people I've studied, Kobe Bryant was one of the hardest working in the world. And anyone who knew him knows that, right? That's what he's known for, his hard work. Hard work. Yes, he was a smart worker too, but he was hardworking. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how he didn't score a single point when he was 11 years old. And it was a summer basketball game and he didn't score a single, no, no breakaway layup, no lucky shot, nothing. And he said, I'm going to play the long game. And he started working on dribbling with his left hand and doing drills. And he started playing seven days a week and he started the compound effect. He started to ignite the compound effect. Four, five, six years later, he's like, oh my God, I grew, I grew, I hit puberty, I grew. It was no chance. These people were doing the same thing they used to do because they weren't as frustrated. Hmm. See, Tom Brady was an underdog and because he was an underdog, he innovated before Bledsoe got injured in 2006. So the compound effect, to get back to the book, you have to work hard first in order to learn how to work smart. And then once you're smarter, work hard at that to learn how to work even smarter. And these 1% improvements, these, these compounding improvements drastically change everything. I mean, we had more listens in one day last week then we did the entirety of the first year. That is the compound effect. We only had 1,052 listens total in the first year of podcasting. We had more than that in one day this week. That is the power of the compound effect. Whoa, that, that's this mind-blowing especially because uh, it was seven months ago that my podcast turned a year old. And uh, I had like maybe 900 uh, downloads in total or, or something like that. Something that was not very inspiring, even frustrating at the time. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of inspiring <laughs> to to know that if I keep, keep going, then downloads will eventually uh, grow as well. And I want to uh, ask a thing about uh, the compound effect and, you know, how, how it works uh, like in in the day-to-day life, uh, we could say. But before getting into that, something that comes to my mind is uh, talking talking about hard work. Is that like essentialism is also about picking the right things? Um, and then he, he uh, and then the Greg uh, wrote his other book, uh, Effortless. And 
in in there he he talks about how it's not great to burn out and to keep working and working and working and working how do you maybe relate that or what are your thoughts on that thinking about this idea of of, of hard work and smart work i as you know I'm, i'm an engineer and i think like an engineer and and so i have a formula and mm -hmm. the formula is 20% r and r So in a 16 hour day, assuming you're sleeping eight hours, so 24 hours, sleep eight, 16 hours left, 20% of that is rest and relaxation, which is 3.2 hours. So that's my formula. I, I think that the point in life is to be as productive and to grow as much as possible and to, to add as much value to the world as possible in your own unique mission. But that, mean, that doesn't mean you don't need rest and relaxation. Of course you do. But most people optimize for that. And that's the problem. What you should be optimizing for is growth and contribution, not yeah. and fulfillment, not for rest and relaxation. Rest and relaxation is a necessity. It's not the goal. You don't wake up and I can't wait to relax, right? You want to <laughs> create and you want to build and you want to grow. And, and this is neuroscience too. It's not fulfilling to just R&R. &R. You know, think of someone who all they do is chill, mm -hmm. hang out and chill, Netflix and chill. They're not fulfilled. And if they are, They're saying it. They're not really fulfilled deep down. They're, they're just saying that. And we've all been there. We've all been there when we were just chilling and we weren't building anything. We weren't learning. We weren't growing. When you're not growing, you're always going to feel like crap, you know? So my point is effortless. I think that it's important to find yourself in the arenas that feel somewhat effortless. So for example, uh, coaching always came very easy to me. Hmm. Shaquille O'Neal, if they were like, Hey Shaq, like, how do you dunk a basketball? He's going to be like, well, what do you mean? You just, <laughs> you just, you just dunk it. Right. So he's in his genius yeah. zone. Um, whereas someone who, who is five foot five, they're not going to dunk a basketball without a massive amount of effort. So I th think effortless is a, another book that the title strikes me a little bit hmm. um, as not a good title. Personally, I, I have trouble reading that book because of the title. Because I think maximizing your potential requires massive effort, even if you are in your genius zone, you know, genuinely. But I do understand the concept of put your effort towards choosing the right things and try hard to get rest and relaxation along the way so that you don't burn out, so that you can play the long game and so that you can ignite the compound effect of consistency over the long term. So it's not about making rest and relaxation the first thing. It's about making them just part to to make the, the machine, to make the, the system keep going. Yes. Yes. Okay. It's a formula. Yeah. It's part of the formula. Yep. Yeah. I like that. And you know, uh, I have here, uh, the everyday hero manifesto by Robin Sharma, uh, to, yep. to put my, my, uh, mock on. <laughs> And I am remembering, I am remembering that in one part he talks about how, like, well, his, his mentality for this is like, when you work, work hard, when you rest, rest hard, or just, you yeah. know, chill. Yeah. <laughs> And so, yep. I think that would be like a, a good review for this. <laughs> yes, 100%. And I agree with that too. Rest and relaxation needs to actually be relaxing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It needs to be actually resting, right? And, and professional athletes know that too. They need to relax when they're relaxing and they need to work their faces off when it's time to practice for the game. Yes. And well, getting back into, into the compound effect, I, I, I think that I get like the main idea of the compound effect or at least the, the general overview because I haven't read the book, but how does it like actually work or how, how does a compound effect uh, 
uh, seem in a in in a day maybe in a day in your life like is it only about constant action or uh how how's it called deliberate uh improvement i think that is it's how they call it for the 10,000 hour uh rule or yeah how 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 does it look so i'll i'll give you and this isn't from the compound effect but it is what the compound effect teaches even though it's sort of my framework so when i speak on stages um i i i often talk about and I open with this picture of Jack Sparrow on the Black Pearl for um, the Curse of the Black Pearl, the very first Pirates of the Caribbean. I know there's like 50 of them now. I'm just joking. But <laughs> the first one, back when I was a kid, the first one was really popular. And my girlfriend and I watched it recently. But there's this one scene where Jack's at the helm and it's a storm. And Orlando Bloom's character is talking to Mr. Gibbs. And, and Orlando Bloom looks up at Jack Sparrow at the helm of the ship and is like looking at the compass. Jack Sparrow's looking at the compass. And Orlando Bloom's like, I don't understand. How are we supposed to find an island that no one can find with a compass that doesn't point north? And Mr. Gibbs says, ah, the compass doesn't point north, but we're not trying to find north, are we? And so to answer your original question, you all have to figure out what, what would you, if you were holding that compass, it, it, it points to the heart's deepest desire. What would it be pointing towards? And for me, I think it points to the mission and I always wear this, uh, this necklace around my neck. Uh, my true North is what I call it. And I have a purpose prayer that I say every day uh, or read every day, say, read, same deal. And it represents my true North. So the true North is the vision. So imagine doing a puzzle, a thousand piece puzzle, but you never saw the cover. It's going to be really hard to put the pieces together. And the pieces are your daily actions. So if we both want to do a thousand piece puzzle, I've seen the cover you haven't, I'm going to win at who can put the puzzle together quicker. Mm. So you have to have a vision. That's number one. The second, so there's three things. Number one is the vision. Okay. The front of the cover, you have to know at least what you think it looks like. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it has to be some sort of a vision. True North compass. Second is can I, Tony Robbins talks about this, a commitment to constant and never ending improvement in the direction of the compass. That's the key. It can't just be learning for the sake of learning, mm -hmm. right? I was reading a book the other day. It was a history book and I was reading about the Renaissance and I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> like the Renaissance is awesome, but there's a part of me that has, has to prep for book club this Saturday. This <laughs> yeah. book club this Saturday is on atomic habits. Alan, you should be prepping for book club. That's your mission. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that's number one is vision, long-term strategic vision. Number two is improving every day toward that vision. Number three is never quit. Never quit, never stop, never stop. What happens if you have a, a clear vision of the future you want to build? What happens if you improve every single day, good, bad, indifferent, you still improve a little bit each day towards that vision, and then you never quit? You know what the byproduct of that would be? Magnificent life. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. The compound effect, the, the a magnificent, well-designed, well-engineered life, you know, and, and to me, that's the magic formula. It sounds overly simple, but that's how you ignite the compound effect. Yeah. Again, bringing uh, Robin's book into, into the conversation, uh, he shares how uh, great truths are profound and simple. And yep. that's how, <laughs> that's how this one is. Yes, exactly. Exactly. One thing I want to add to the compounding penny. I don't know if you've read the book, but he talks about a compounding penny. 
and you know, anyone who wants to read the book can see this, but uh, he says, if you had a choice between a penny that doubles in value every day for 31 days or $3 million, which one would you choose? Now everyone knows it's a trick question. So it's like, well, I'm going to mm-hmm. choose the penny, <laughs> right? Okay. So one penny turns into two, turns into four, turns into eight, 16, 32, 64, 128, 256, 512, right? It compounds, ends up at $2.3 million by 31 days. 10.3 million when you started with a penny. And so it's really important to understand the compound effect. And this is the problem. If you saw Kevin and I, let me, let me just illuminate this. We went through our, our trajectory of gross revenue as a business over the last five years. I wanted to show Kevin. I wanted to take him through the next um, eight years. We projected all the way to 2030. And we're intending to double our revenue every year. Right? Mm-hmm. So I took him through the formula. <laughs> In 2017, we started our podcast. We made zero dollars. Okay? Mm-hmm. 2018, we made $16,000 between the two of us all year. Eight eight thousand each. <laughs> this is gross revenue, by the way. So this is like before expenses. Right? Mm. And then the next year we made forty thousand dollars together combined, twenty grand each. Not a lot of money. We're in debt at this point, right? So we're at twenty nineteen now. Twenty twenty. Twenty twenty. We made eighty thousand dollars. Forty thousand each. Twenty twenty one. We made a hundred and eighty thousand. Now we're projected to end up by the tail end of this year, grossing over a million a year by the end of this year. And right now we make 30 grand a month in our podcast, in our business, 30 grand a month now. See, if you looked at us for the first 40 years, you would have thought we have an unsuccessful podcast. (laughs) Guess who has a very successful podcast, (laughs) right? It's the compound effect. You would have been very wrong. Just like the doubling penny when you're looking at the first 15 days going, I can barely buy a Happy Meal. See, the compound effect is so elusive that you think it's not working. See, working out for nine hours in one day isn't going to do anything. Working out for 30 minutes for 18 days. See, that could actually make a profound difference in the trajectory of your life. Now, what about nine years, 30 minutes a day? That's a brand new physique. That's a brand new life is mm-hmm. what that is. So consistency is everything. Um, real quick, the compound effect is about consistency. And Darren Hardy says, I am the world's biggest believer in consistency. No, you're not, Darren. I am. I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> but seriously, uh, Stephen Kotler wrote another book called The Art of Impossible. I'll go quick with this. We interviewed him. And he said this one line. He said, you know, very little is impossible given a decade. But here's the thing. I want to tell people this with consistency. There's very little you couldn't accomplish genuinely over the long term. I mean, two decades of, of consistent podcasting, you're going to win Mm. as long as you get better every time. Right. If you can't be consistent, it's impossible. It's impossible. Joe Rogan has 1800 episodes, right? 1800s. He's been podcasting consistently for 15 years. Of course he's successful. (laughs) You know, 
Have you watched his first one? It was absolute garbage. It was terrible, right? Just like our first episode was terrible. I still have it on my YouTube channel. You can go watch it. It's awful, bad, really bad. But now here we are, 850 episodes, top 100 show, hundreds of thousands of listens, hundred thousands of revenue, 14 person team. I have 20 clients, Kevin has 16, group coaching, 50 clients between the two of us all over the world. See, it all sounds awesome. Consistency, without consistency. So everyone wants all of what I just said, right? Awesome. Do you want 852 episodes straight, never missing a day, recording every single day? See, you can't want one without the other. And I'll be quick about this. The compound effect. I'll be quick about this and then we'll go. So mm-hmm. I do, I have to jump. Sure. Um, I just want to share this with you guys. The listeners, viewers, guys and gals. I want to start getting in the habit of saying that. Because when I say guys, I mean male and female, but mm-hmm. I mean guys and gals. Yes, okay. <laughs> Kevin and I are on the phone the other day. Uh, Zoom. Uh, StreamYard, actually, because we record in StreamYard. And we're about to record our episodes. And he said, Alan, I'm really pumped. He's the CFO, Chief Financial Officer of our business. He says, Alan, we we just had a really big week. We're looking at $7,000 this week because last week was a big week and it takes five business days for the Stripe. We use Stripe. It doesn't matter. The point is it's going to hit our bank account, seven grand in one week, right? That's a big week for us. Awesome. I didn't even flinch. I was taking notes and preparing for the next episode. And he's like, you don't even care. (laughs) I'm like, Kev, I don't care about effects. I care about causes. I said, I'm focused on this next episode. I'm not going to take my head up from that to look at the $7,000 week because I, I'm focused on the cause, not the effect. Seven grand is an effect, not a cause. See, the cause is adding massive value to hundreds of thousands of people all over the world. I'm focused on that. The money is an effect. So I focus on causes, not effects. The compound effect is how to be consistent and improve consistently in your craft every day for the long term so that the effect compounds. But the causes is what you need to focus on. And I think that that's what I want to end with is you have to understand that life is a formula. You're not going to be successful without hard work. You're not going to be successful without discipline. You're not going to be successful without strategic thinking. You're not going to be successful without growing and improving. Taylor Swift, 17 years old, backyard barbecue, country singer. Nobody showed up. Friends and family laughed. What is she, who does she think she is? 14 years later, I'm at the concert, Foxborough Stadium. 60,000 people. She's telling the story, 14 years straight, performing, never stopped, right? No one sees the 17-year-old girl who was self-conscious that her family laughed at her. They see the 60,000 people in Foxborough Stadium and right all the glitz and the glam. It Just stop focusing on the shiny objects. The shiny objects have nothing to do with success. Mm-hmm. They're a, an effect, not a cause. And so that's the, the thing about the compound effect. It, it's focused on what are the causes that create a compounded return on your investment of your time, your energy, and your money. And it's the most powerful book ever written, in my opinion. 
So the compound effect is the effect of the cause and the cause is consistent, consistently working hard on the right things towards the right direction. Exactly. Strong work. Yeah. Well, again, that, that's, that's what I would say that that's like the review from all of today's books that we talked about. And I thank you again for, for coming and adding value to, to my audience and to me. And yeah, th thank you, Len. I'm very, very grateful. Thank you for having me. Um, if anyone wants to learn more about what we do at Next Level University, you can look us up on any podcast platform and or YouTube. And in the show notes is all of my contact information. So Instagram, email, between my assistant and I, we literally get back to everyone. So if this touched your life in a positive way, reach out, happy to help. We have tons and tons and tons of uh, awesome services and products that can help you. Courses, one-on-one -on -one coaching, group coaching, all kinds of awesome stuff. So reach out um, and we'll be happy to help. Yeah, I will have those uh, contact sites on the description of the episodes. And well, thank you again. You are so very welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And that is a wrap. Thank you a lot for listening. I appreciate your time and energy. Thanks for sharing it with me and with Alan. And if you want to dive deeper into Alan's work or into my stuff at Lounge Effect 2, you can find the links and all those things in the description. This was today's episode. I'll speak with you in the next one. I'm your host Emiliano. Peace.